as we all know, life throws serious challenges at us from time to time. Artists use music to help tell these stories. They may be singing about something they experience personally, or that they watch from afar, or that they created in their own mind. The beautiful thing is that these lyrics and music reach our mind, and we can relate from a distance, or the story may even feel like it's ours directly. Over the last 40 days, friends of ours have lost loved ones. The people that passed were Victor, Chuck, and Elliot. Two were spouses, and one was a son. Each had a significant love for music. I want their loved ones to know that we are thinking about the individuals who passed, as well as for those staying behind. We hope that prayers and music help as each of you move forward with your remembrance of loved ones lost. These thoughts go out to you, our listeners, who may have gone through recent losses as well. In this show, we take a subtle spin in a different direction. We're going to talk with Josh David Jordan and Greg Schrader. Josh is the director and Greg the actor in a movie about the tough life of a musical artist trying to make it. This World Won't Break is the name of the movie as well as the feature song within the movie. Based on research, Josh is confident that a music story like this has never been told on the big screen. They will have a release party for the movie within the next 60 days here in Dallas. So hey, stay tuned for a release in time on the release party. And even more exciting, be on the lookout for an announcement that the movie will be shown at an upcoming movie festival of significance. Let's talk with Josh and Greg and explore how they told the story of music through the visual art of a movie. Amy, let's get started. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? Campers. We're taking a little diversion. Diversion. We're still staying in the world of music, but today's guests are Josh David Jordan and Greg Schrader. Josh is a filmmaker, movie director. Greg is a musical artist slash actor, soon to be nominated for an Oscar, maybe? We'll see, we'll see how this plays out. <laughs> the thumbs are flying up on the other side of the table here, folks. They are wrapping up the filming of a music movie, This World Won't Break. Before we jump into that movie, which I can't wait to do, what brought each of you to this point in the world of movies slash music? Josh, you want to kick it off? All right. Thanks, Muddy Waters. This mic's a little bit wet. I think it was in the dog bowl. <laughs> Muddy uh, handed over the mic to yeah, Josh a little Muddy while ago. Muddy handed over the mic. Paul's up. Well, I started out, I went the long way about. I started out as an actor because oh. um, that was the only way to really like be a part of anything. So my dad was a traveling evangelist, so there was never like a really a home base. So I was always a part of like theater in the church and stuff like that. But I love film. I love cinema. My older brother, he didn't really take to the traveling evangelist stuff, so he was a little mo- more disgruntled. But I sort of escaped, and I jumped into like Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, and then film. Growing up in the boot hill of Missouri, Texas, Mississippi, the only way to be close to like film or be close to acting was just to be an actor. Right. You know, I wanted to make films. Like I love Hitchcock. I love, 
of Scorsese. My dad, even though he's a traveling evangelist, he like showed me so much film. Like one of my favorite films still to this day is It's a Wonderful Life. There's so much in that. I wanted to tell that story, but the only way to do it was by acting. So I went that route. And you know what's crazy is like thinking back about it now is I was never truly satisfied. I always felt there was like an emptiness. There was something that wasn't really connecting or I I didn't feel it was fulfilled yet. And then I went to University of Missouri for theater. I did that. And still the same thing. And then I got cast in Dallas on a feature film called The Prodigy uh, by William Kaufman. It was one one of the, yeah, you know that film? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It was one of the biggest uh, pictures to come out of Dallas in a while. I got cast in that, and I caught the the film buzz, which is what I w- was going for. I had a really young face, <laughs> and so I was more of a character actor. But I looked like you know, I, like I was like nineteen years old. But I had like the mind of like Billy Bob Thornton, like character wise. And so it was just never. I'll go to auditions. I went on an audition once for a Dell commercial in Austin, Texas, and I drove all the way to Austin after bartending at four in the morning. And when I get there, I'm the only non-Japanese guy in the room. And I thought, like, either A, I'm not going to get this, or B, I'm totally going to get this role. <laughs> it's a 50-50 chance. And so I went for it. I didn't get that job. But I, I realized, like, man, I really want to, like, tell stories. I don't want to be, you know, on camera. And so luckily I met Matthew Posey from the Okra House Theater. He brought me in. I thought the theater had been around for a gazillion years. It only been around for that year. And he brought me in. He would write the plays for you. So he would say, and he still does to this day. Really? He would say, like, are you available? I'm like, yeah. He's like, we'll have a character for you. And then so you don't get the full script. You get it almost the week before opening day. But you're workshopping the script, and it's being written for you as you do each scene. So he gets a feel for who you are and what'll play well for you, and then he plays off of that. Yeah, he knows the the skeleton. So he taught me this. Write a skeleton, and then pick the people that you want to write for those people. When it comes along, you start to fill in the gaps. And then that's what we did with this film, this role on break, was I wrote for everyone. And I was able to, they just fleshed it out, really. I mean, at, when it came to, to shooting it, it was just like, I may be getting ahead of myself here. But no, it, it was just like things were just being, it was a skeleton, so things were getting fleshed out. And the number one thing he said to me, which I still to this day was, never let the audience get ahead of you. Get ahead of you. And so as I wrote this, I feel like the audience never gets, and they don't, because there's a twist ending at the end. But so, like, that's how I've gotten into all this, which is like now, I mean, I'm even in this film, I'm in it three times as three different people. As three different people. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) One says the young child, one is the Billy Bob Bob Thornton. Thornton. (laughs) Which is true. I do play like a random person, and then I play a really Billy Bob Thornton character, and and then the twist is. After you see the film, I'll tell you who I was. But <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, let's hand it off to Greg. Well-regarded musician here, musical artist here in the Dallas area, and well-traveled as well. But oh, That's very nice. Tell us how you got to this point and got grabbed into this movie where the script was being written the minute before you went on stage. So to get to this point of, of making this film, it was just a lot of years of playing 
shows all over Texas and traveling around and uh, playing a lot here in Dallas and meeting and then meeting Josh at one of the places that I, that I played. And kind of a long, long story short about how we got to this point in a way is that I'd seen other music videos he had done and then went to, went to him to have some a music video done. We did that one. I had another song come up that I really wanted to have a, a video for. It happened to be a, a song about uh, New York City. And just, the thing was, is I was actually going to New York to play some shows. I go, hey, Josh, if I can get you up there, would you want to come up and shoot some stuff for a video? So we got that worked out. We went up. And I think that's kind of the beginning of the idea for of this because it wasn't that long after that that Josh called me up and he goes, "I have this I have this script in my mind that I want to do, and you're you're in it. Do you want to do it?" And I go, "Yes, <laughs> if you're sure. in it, better sure. do it." Yeah, sure. But you know the thing is, I and I think I think the thing is for me is at that moment I didn't really have any concept of like what he was actually really talking about. It's that's how we got to this this point now is through these other projects we've done work together right. with and just our mutual respect, I guess, for each one another in, the, in those respective worlds. Now, what's interesting is the name of the movie, you know, This World Won't Break. You actually wrote that song before production of this movie started, right? The thing is with that song is it's, it's about partic- three particular artists. Oh, okay. Uh, but I didn't want to mention their actual names in the song, so I just wrote basically context clues describing of who these guys were. And it just, they were all influences on me. And at, and at some point there was, there's always a bit of tragedy to me in right. an artist. And I think that, that you go through the world trying to make changes or make it better. And then when, when you're gone, you, you don't longer have to, you don't longer have to worry about that anymore. You, it's time you could, you get the rest. And this was almost that, statement for those those particular artists you know you you've done so much the world won't break but hopefully your words do but, carry but, forward but, but, but carry forward and you make so much you make so much influence you have so much yeah. influence on the rest of the existence right you know it's yeah. basically about leaving your mark ultimately which artists are those well the first the first i used to i used to do this do it shows this deal at shows where i would go if you can name the three artists after the song is over i will buy you a shot <laughs> okay Everyone listen. But most of the time, I, I had to renege because I didn't have enough money to buy people a shot. But, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's but that's only if that's only if they got it. The, the first the first <laughs> the first the first verse is directed towards Doug Som. Sure. And the second verse is directed towards Graham Parsons. Oh, wonderful. and the last and the last verse is directed towards Buck Owens. And so the last verse is one lines that are, that are directly from the song "Streets of Bakersfield" that are turned around. Josh, this music movie comes from a different perspective. Can you spoil a little bit of the basis for this artist, his world, and where it's going? Yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, when I was first writing it, the idea came from me being 40 years old, and I thought that I would have made it by now, right? That was the whole premise of the story. Early on, I did some acting. that I was in Hollywood, and I thought, like, you know, in my 20s, and I was like, oh, this is it. I'm about to be like Brad Pitt. We'll be best friends. Right. I, I can feel this. And so like, but then it's like, it comes back to Dallas, Texas, and you have a family. And then like you have responsibilities. And so all these things start to happen. 
and I turned 40, and I was still making really cool video stuff, and I was making some short films. I'd had a short film that did really great on the festival tour. It won a lot of awards, but then it, you know, nothing happens. And, you know, and I'm like, well, I haven't made it. And so the story was, yeah, yeah. what happens to the artist who doesn't make it? When I say make it, like I'm using a hand gesture, which you can't hear on the podcast. You're a household name, or you're just a name. Like, you know, like you're a Joaquin Phoenix, or you're a Ron Howard, or... And you're making a good living. Yeah, you're making a good living. That's what you do. It's like being an artist is weird because like we don't say like when has a plumber made it? He's peaked. He's at his height. There's not that. <laughs> but we put that on working artists, which is I don't think is fair. Because like for me, if going out and doing a gig, I make a good I support a family. Yeah. And like for Greg, it's like he goes out and plays gigs and you know, he makes a living. So, like, where, why do we say that that's not okay? You haven't made it. And so that was the story. And I realized no one wanted to watch a two-hour movie about a, a guy writing a play or a, a, a film directing it. So, like, I looked to Greg because <laughs> it's the same. We would, have, we would be, like, you know, three deep in whiskeys and having the same conversation, but it's more romantic if there's music involved. And so, like... Damn right. We both have beards, and that's what that's our yes, production. That's actually our production company, which is called Whiskey Beard Films, which wasn't a far reach from. That was pretty easy to come up with, and so the film came to this, and it came through music because there's a film called Once. I don't know if you've ever seen Once. It's oh, John, Once. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Once. Yeah, yeah, of absolutely. The guy and the gal. Yes, yes. yes. And so I was like, "That's a modern day musical," and there was a love story there. And then I would watch films like uh, Crazy Heart, which is a washed up. Act, you know, washed up musician. Right. And I would watch things like, there was this movies where like a guy came from nothing, then he became everything, and he's like playing American Airlines Center, and it's like, what about the guy who doesn't make it? Absolutely. And so I would, I'm not lying, I would look on Amazon Prime, or I would look on Netflix for this movie. It didn't exist. And I was like, well, fuck it. Really? And I was like, I want to make a film that I'm looking for on Netflix, or in the theaters, or wherever. I want to go see something. And so we started to hash it out, and I was like, started to write it, and we would talk, and like, you know, it became very personal, and I would bring Greg's music into it, and then write counter to that, and then, you know, I had a skeleton, and then I started filling people around him, really good actors and, right. and musicians, and just people in Dallas. And my whole thing was this, have you ever seen a film that was made 100% in Dallas, Texas, in Texas, with... Texas actors, Texas crew, Texas musicians. Everyone wants to bring, and I totally understand bringing in stars. Like, it'd be great to have someone in this film that was a star. Thanks. But <laughs> How you feel, Greg? But the whole point is this. How about we do it backwards? How about we make stars out of ourselves, right? Sure. It's, and it sounds pretentious when I say it out loud, but it, it really is a, a heartfelt thing, which is I was like, Matthew Posey such an amazing actor. Mitchell Parrick's an amazing actor. You know, Roxana Redfoot is so Roxana Redfoot is so talented, and Greg's music so amazing. Let's do it ourselves, and then that's how it started. So, so Greg, how did you feel when he wanted you to be the loser? No, I'm just. <laughs> uh, it was a part I was uh, I was made to play. <laughs> I'm be, obviously I'm being a smartass, but. You can understand this character. Oh no, I, I totally can understand this character. I've been I've been doing this for almost twenty years. 
And and it is a thing. It's like you wait for your time to come, or you think you're waiting for your time to come, and you just but you just keep plugging away and keep doing it. Right. You know, and um, part of it is because you don't think there's anything else you can do. You know, you get to a point like I haven't had a a, a real job, and I don't know when. So the idea for me to go back into the workforce. I can't do it yeah. in, in a way because I can't make the same money that I'm making right now, even though I'm not making a great, a great amount of money. I don't have any, I don't have anything to put on a resume right at this point. Yeah. And so you just keep doing it and you keep plugging and keep going and keep going and keep doing it with the intention. You know, I think the thing is your intentions early on is that I'm going to be the next big thing. Sure. And then your realization comes around and you go, well, I just want to be a thing. And then, and then, then the realization comes around. Well, I just want to keep doing this and supporting myself and being able to make my music and what I'm doing and sustaining and carrying on. You know, it's like, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, I'd rather be. I'm I'm making a hand gesture now, but but a slow incline instead of a peak, a peak in a valley. You can you can have a you can have one big hit. I always find I think that people that had the one big hit that now that they're enjoying their success. But they always have to play that one song, no matter where they no go, and no, they go. no matter what else they do in their career, they can never get past that. No matter if they write a great, a song that's so much better, the hit will always be what they have to do. I'm kind of digressing, or no, you're on place, you're fine. But you're good. The other thing is, like, I just want to be able to continue to do what I do, right. you know, and, and that's and that becomes my success as long as I can continue to book shows. Right. And continue to play and continue to make a living. Then I'm then I'm successful. The scariest part is when it becomes harder and harder to do on stage. That becomes scary. But the scary part is when the uh, opportunities start to dwindle away. Yeah, yeah, right. You can continue to do those things. You can you'll always be able to play the hopefully play the your instrument or write a song. But but having the avenue yeah. to be able to make money to do it. Next thing you know, you're on the street corner. <laughs> tough, tough shit. Yeah, yeah tough you know, shit. So our joke, our joke in one of the bands I was in, we always would when we'd pass a, a homeless person, and it goes, "Oh look, a former musician." <laughs> <laughs> Demented humor. <laughs> the opening of the movie is so awesome to me. I want I want to get both of your takes on this. Being a big blues lover, as you can see with all my LPs around here, but following up on yours is, to me, it's the importance of the story. And that first five minutes where you're opening on the street and then you go in to Sons of Herman Hall, and that whole first five minutes is just fantastic. Take me through that. You know, it's an empty bar room, and that's very realistic for a lot of, for a lot of musicians. And just that whole leading up to it, I mean... The the monologue that goes in, that goes that leads up to that just you know and it's one of the things that Josh wrote and and it's it's like I don't really consider myself a blues musician but I identify with them and that's very much where I where I find myself I think that that opening of the scenes of Dallas going to that historic building and it's just a, I mean it's a it's to me it's a very powerful setting the tone for what's what's about to happen yeah Josh I think the clips you show of Dallas. I'm sure some of them have been seen in other movies, but I thought you really captured Dallas really well. Yeah, I, th- I think that was the whole key to the film. Was It was really the heartbeat. The whole theme is, what if you don't make it? What right. next? Right? I mean, I grew up early 90s. I worked at Club Clearview in Deep Ellum. I met my wife there on the stoops of Deep Ellum between Crowdus and Elm. And that's before like you had 
you know, there was no cell phones. There was no social media. It was like, so I figured out everyone would come to crowd us in Elm to find out where everyone was. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, if I work at Club Clearview, which is a bar in, D- in Deep Elm, I'll know. I'll be the gatekeeper and get paid and get drugs. That's, that's just what it was. That was uh, I met sure. my wife there, and like, like Trippin' Daisy would come in and do a show. Third Eye Blind came in, and that's a lame band now, but like at the time, they would come in and do these little shows. And so like, there was a feeling that, how do you describe that? And before us, there was like Blind Lemon Jefferson, Lightning Hopkins, everybody came through Robert Johnson. And how do you encompass that? You know, like the Rolling Stones came to Dallas, Texas to find out where this blues came from. And for me, I wanted to showcase, there's, it's still here. There's still those ghosts, you know, the ghost of Blind Lemon Jefferson is still here. And so when we open, I want the audience to really realize, and I think you feel that, there's just like silence, and there's wind, and it's Craig's voice, and we see these venues that people played at. And, and then it kicks into the Deep and Blues song after he gets evicted from this mansion. And so that's where we start. And I think once the door closes, when you watch that, I think we don't stop in the entire film. The film never stops. We just go. And it's all Deep Ellum. It's Dallas. It's, uh, and when we do go to the monolithic domes in Italy, Texas. We do go to Tehawakana, and we can talk about that, which was, which was where Blind and Jefferson was buried. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Can I talk about that for a second? Sure. So I wrote this. Uh, Greg used to say he would go by and pay visits to Blindly and Jefferson's grave. Okay. And I thought that he was talking about this in Houston because that's where you were born. Correct. I was was born in, I I was born in Dallas actually, but I grew up outside of Waco. Okay. Maybe just. We're close. We're close. This is my dramatic brain. You play a lot in Houston. Okay. So he was driving back (laughs) from Houston or Corsicana and he would go and pay a visit to Blind Lemon Jefferson. And so when I was going to scout this house and this land where we shot the last part of this world one break, which is, it was like going to summer camp. We yeah. all lived there. We, we, we lived in bunk houses and bunk beds. And it was like the most magical four or five days of my life. Anyway, so before I was scouting, I was scouting that location. I was driving back. All of a sudden I put the brakes on. I look, I back up and it says, Memorial of Blind Lemon Jefferson. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We're literally filming a mile from where he's buried. And I called Greg. He's like, oh, that's where it's at. Yeah, it's in Wortham, Texas. And so there's a whole scene about that. So it was almost like the blues gods were like looking out for, I I really believe that. Sure. There was, okay, so, and when I went to go scout, so I put the brake on, I go to look at this place where he's buried on a tombstone, it says, um, Lord, I ask that you keep my grave clean, my gravesite clean. And I hear this music. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I left my car on. So I go back to my car. It's turned off. I turn around, and there's like 15 to 20 cows right beside his grave. And they were going, oh. <laughs> now, I may or may not have taken half a gummy. <laughs> Before I did this. It's amazing how harmonic cows can be, isn't it? I'm just saying it happened in my brain. (laughs) It really happened. And so I knew from... I'm sure Blind Lemon is touched by that. Yes. And I'm I'm being dead serious when I say this. From that moment on, I knew that we were onto something. I knew that it was real. Absolutely. I knew that we could carry on. And I I told you that. I was like, oh, this is on. And then people like, you know, with Tim DeLotter and people hopping on board. 
it was happening. We just had to hop on the train. We mentioned earlier the name of the movie, and it's also a song that Greg has written. Greg, could you take a few minutes and actually play it for our listeners today? Sure. Sure. Let me tune up real quick. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. We're going to let Greg... Muddy Waters give him his guitar back. That's right. Muddy hands over his guitar. <laughs> and uh, we're going to set up, and Greg's going to take off. Here we go.
<laughs> we we have several Lone Stars stacked up here yeah. on the table. And Thank so so all you little kids under 18 years of age, you can't see them, so I, I guess that makes it safe. <laughs> Greg, that was great. Thank you very much. In one scene in the movie, okay. you're, you're playing a guitar to a telephone, and obviously somebody's at the other end of this line. Right. And then w- when you finish the song, I, I won't give it away, but... Kind of take us through your feeling. I would assume at some point in time you've maybe done that. You- I'm not sure. I, I think that honestly, that yeah. Can you answer this? Because honestly, like for me, it's like I'd, I'd ever done that. Although I'd, I will say something I have done is I have made, <laughs> I have made the cassette recording. Yes. And sent it via mail yeah, to someone before before, and it's in in the same same regards of like. Hey, I wrote you this song. Remember, remember, remember me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. we'll hand it off to Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a musician. It was, it was kind of like a mixtape thing. So, in the film, you've already, you've seen the intro where you hear the uh, answering machine, and it's the girl's yes. voice. Yes. So, you never see that person, which was played by Julie DeLauder. Which is Tim's wife. I was wondering. I yeah. was going to ask that. I was yeah. wondering if we ever see her because all the scenes that I saw, you were nice enough to share with me, she's just yeah, a yeah, voice. yeah. She's just a voice, and so, but that's Julie Delara's Tim's wife. But so I, I put her on there, and so I was like, in the film, he's she's always on the phone, but in this instance, it's kind of a change in the film. I'm not giving anything away, really. But Greg's playing to the phone, and you don't know who's on the other line, and it was one of those moments of like. Because his performance is so great in the film. And I was like, he never plays on stage in the entire film. He never plays live. Which oh. was always something that really drove me crazy in films was like production in bars. Like, it doesn't look like that. And that's one of the things when we started with this film that we both agreed upon is that most movies that have music and they have a live performance, the, the bar scene where they're playing or whatever live performance they have looks so staged and looks like, okay, now we're going to do a music video. And it, yeah. and it separates itself from the film, and then you go back to the film, and we didn't want that thing to happen. Yeah, it was like a vacuum in the room. Like Whenever he starts to play, like all of a sudden it's like, and there's no, it's just he's playing. So I was like, it needs, it needs to be real. Like, Very good. So it needs to be songwriting. And so what if he's singing this song to this push tone? And there's no technology in the film by the way, so you don't know what time period it is. So it's just a phone. It's just an old green phone that he turns over and he plays this song to. So that was the whole point of the film was, it's from his point of view. And like what it feels like to like, maybe on the other, at least you can like play it and like hang up. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe you don't want any feedback. That's the whole point of that scene, I think. Well, you mentioned earlier that you pulled in a lot of Dallas artists and actors, and you mentioned Tim DeLauder. He's he's got a special role. You want to plug yeah, that? Yeah. So I I wanted like I'm friends with a lot of Dallas musicians, but it's like the film's about Greg's music. But I still like love all my friends. I want them to be a part of it, and they're also super talented. I just started to write roles for people uh, like Tim DeLauder. He plays a cross-dressing landlord at the Monolithic Domes in Italy, Texas. And he wears like this weird squirrel. It's not a squirrel, it's a mink. And with this like Asian pajamas. And it's kind of like the whole David Bowie thing. Like it was like a, yeah. a moment for like, because 
Tim went to acting school. Tim's very talented. He's a very talented actor. And I wanted him to shine in that role. Jason Wortham, he was in the band. But he plays the sheriff of Deep Ellum. There's always those weird people in Deep Ellum who, like, like, that guy's crazy, right? Like, he, like, stands on the corner and does weird stuff. But everybody knows him. Josh brought me, when he brought some of these characters to me, I was like, this is perfect because I've met all these people. You know, like throughout the throughout the years being on the road, Tim's character in particular like was very recent to me in a way. I was played in um, Phoenix, Arizona at this club in between a song, and I'm tuning up, and I hear this very deep voice say, "Can you play some BB King?" And I said, "No, sir. I'm sorry. I don't. I can't." And the bar busts into laughter, and I don't know what they're laughing at until I look up, and there is a cross dresser in a Daisy Dukes and a tied-up shirt with a blonde wig and cowboy boots asking this question. <laughs> and, 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 my, and my first was like, oh, I, mean, oh, I mean, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, you know, I didn't know how to respond to that. Right, but, yeah, I mean, but then, after, the, but then after, the, after I got done, I went and talked to this individual and lovely person, but I was not expecting to see. So one of the things, you run across so many different types of people. And so when Josh... Sort of introducing some of these characters is like, yes, because a lot of people don't see this side right. of traveling and playing shows of the people you meet. Right. The, I mean, the hour after the show. The hour over. after the show yeah. or the and, the and the things that they will tell you within 30 minutes of meeting them or less than that. Sometimes within five minutes of meeting them, their life story can be in your, you, yeah. you can know it. Right. You know, and there's Donnie Gillian. Who's eighty-two years old, something like that? Well, he's in the film, okay. which is he's playing. He's actually playing Deep Ellen Blues with Greg. When you hear that Deep Ellen Blues song, very good. That's Donnie. Yeah. So Donnie's last film was called Rocket Baby Rocket. Rock Baby Rocket. Okay, Rock Baby Rocket. 1950, 1956. 1956. Filmed in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, filmed in Dallas, Texas. And Fritz von Erich played. What? Fritz von Erich played the mafia boss or mafia one of mafiosos in the movie. Yeah. You can watch it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last film that Donnie was in until ours. So what's the math on that? It's been 60-something years since Donnie first started. He was on the silver screen. On the silver screen at the Texas Theater. He's going to be on the silver screen again at the Texas Theater in, in, this, in this role. And he plays the blues song, Deep Ellen Blues. He's right. the one playing the blues with, with Greg in the opening sequence. That's awesome. Greg, those people late at night, they're special. That's a different world that 98% of the world doesn't understand, but they're special. No, well, the thing is, I think, I think one of the things as a performer, they see you on stage, and so automatically they, see, they think you're, it's okay that you can relate. And in a lot of ways, you can. They'll, people will open up to you so fast in that situation. Because you're a storyteller. Because you're a storyteller, and, then, and you can sit down, and they, and they want to talk to you. I think as performers, you get such a cross-section of humanity and see them in a, in, a, in a way that most people don't get a chance to. And I feel like I can't discriminate towards, like, oh, I don't want to talk to this person right now. Even if I'm just, like, I'm tired or whatever, I don't, that's, my, that's my job right. in, in a lot of ways. And so you meet a lot of perspective of, of how people see uh, the world. It's interesting because I think we're put in a really, really unique position. Right. I think the thing is that once you can, once you can realize that you're just a, another one of these people running around, right? We're all a bunch of crazies. It's okay to talk to each other. Right. You get a, you get a perspective of the human existence. And all these people had very different experiences than a lot of other people. And it, and, and some person's norm 
is, is completely out of this world to, to you, but it's their, their normal, and your normal is completely out of this world to them. Being able to communicate at some point in some way, you get a perspective how to tell a story, how to create, how to create characters. And Josh has done a great job of that. Well, you know, the thing about it, but the thing is too, is Josh was a bartender for a long time. So he has, he has the same uh, perspective of cross sections of humanity yes. as, as an art, as a, as a musician does playing to those places. A lot of the music is Greg's. That's quite a gift to Greg. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Awesome to have like, it was difficult at times because you're writing a story and then you're putting his songs in there and his songs do represent the story. And then we have to put a score in between, which at this point, this is a little pull the curtain back. Greg doesn't know some of this stuff. Like the cool part about editing his songs. So the whole point of the film is I never want the music to end. So at the very first, there's no music at all. And then it starts and it's, it's deep Ellen blues. And then it never really stops. It's a, it'll be a subconscious thing for the audience because it'll be like a little small undertones of a cello, but it all builds to his next song and it goes in until the very, very end when there's silence. And that's like the twist ending. The music was always the backbone. And I'm not a musician. I've just always really appreciated it. And then Greg brought that and I'm like, oh my gosh, he wrote, he wrote something cinematically. Oh, Muddy Waters, come on. Muddy Waters is trying to get on the mic. So he's walking over to me. He just brought me a Lone Star beer, like a German, like a St. Bernard. St. Bernard. He's, he's good at that. He understands yeah, what his I didn't know. Was. I thought it was a barrel, but it was a Lone Star. <laughs> I appreciate that, Money Waters. This is clearly an independent movie. Can you take people through the process and the challenges that you've been through in getting this done? There's a thousand ways to skin a cat. I'm not sure why you want to skin a cat or a fillet of catfish. There's a bunch of different avenues. I always feel like that's weird. So like independent film, luckily, it's a two-edged Sword. It's a tough thing in Dallas, Texas, because right now a lot of things are not being made in Dallas, Texas, because of there's no, there's no incentive. I mean, I sat on the 72nd floor of the Bank of America building. They had money to give to artists. They had $200,000. They were not. I, I applied for the scholarship. After everything was good to go, I was like, man, we got the funding. We're good to go. This lawyer walks in. He's got his I'm doing now. I'm doing like audio visual stuff. But he like has the thing under. He's like, oh, "I'm sorry, but we uh, do we do everything but films." And he's like, "And what's your what's your rush, Mister Jordan? What's your rush with the film? Can't you just like make it at a later date?" And like that's really stuck with me, and it really like hurt me at that moment, but also motivated me because I was like, "The reason is Dallas is changing like a motherfucker." If you've been to Deep Ellum, it's not Deep Ellum. Yeah. It looks like uh, you know, Disneyland. You know, it's not the same place. And I'm, I was trying to tell a story about the beauty of Dallas. But, like, you know, I understand financiers don't understand art as, like, artists don't understand financiers. But we can learn. We can meet in the middle. That's the one thing I have learned is this. The first no fucking destroyed me. The first no. That was the first no I got. And I wanted to, like, throw this script in the Trinity River, which is full of poop, and just let it sink to the bottom, right? But the thing is... Every no I got, I'm not going to say names here. I've talked to a lot of like wealthy people on Main Street, and they've said no. And I would say this, well, why? And they would tell me why. I'd be like, all right, I'll fix that. And kept going, no, 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 no. And we never got a grant. And and granted, I'll be real here, is that people like motherfuckers like Harvey Weinstein screwed a lot of people like me, who was a, I'm a 40-year-old white male, and nobody wants to give grants to me. And I totally understand that, because we have 
done dumb stuff, but not me. I'm right. only 40, man. I've only lived here for this long. Like, I'm trying to make art. And so it never happened financially. And so there was a moment, and it very much was like the Rocky moment when Adrian's in the bed and she's just giving birth to her son, for Rocky's son. Yeah. And she wakes up and she looks at Rocky and she says, Go get him. My wife did that. She said, like, here's the date. Here's the date that you're filming. I'm like, we have no money. She's like, just put the fucking date down. And so we did. And guess what? We started filming. And then people like the wonderful people at Bolt Productions, people like Tim DeLotter, Chris Penn from Good Records, Dolly Python, they all started like coming out of the woodworks and saying, like, what costume design do you need? What do you need? Stetson designed four of our hats. That's uh, cool. Tekovas, Tekovas, uh, gave us boots. Lone Star gave us beers. Uh, Topo Chicos gave us waters <laughs> that we used. And like, I needed an El Camino. And on Facebook, someone, I love the El Camino. Yeah, by the someone way. like someone's mom, Shelby, thank you so much. And Sharon Owens, thank you so much. They gave us this El Camino. And so things were, it was like that. It was like the scene from It's a Wonderful Life yeah. when he has no money for it and Potter's going to take everything. Yeah. And people keep showing up. It was like, I was going to save this money for a divorce if I ever got married. That's what was happening. <laughs> and I was like, well, motherfucker, we're making a movie then. And we didn't stop. And that's the thing with independent film is like, it was a good, better, best. Dallas didn't give a shit, which was great. But the whole the thing that hurt my feelings was I was making a film about Dallas. Dallas, right, right. Dallas did show up. That's right. In and, a different form. And they will. And that's the thing you have to realize is like the form that you think in your brain, the people who are going to show up don't. I had people who were like, I want to be the first AC every day. I want to be there for 18 days. And they never showed up. But the people who did show up made this film. Yeah. And it's and that's special. Ba- it's special. And, we, you know, we had little crew hats made. I did little things, you know. I had little crew hats made, and we had like – Little celebrations here and there. So, like, Dallas did show up. It just showed up in a different form, and I'm glad that it did. It was about, like, 25 people of Dallas that showed up. <laughs> <laughs> but we love those 20, We love those 25 people. That's all it takes to make a feature. As, as we head towards the end of our interview and in, in the bottom of our Lone Star bucket, <laughs> Greg, any closing comments? Come see it when it's done. And when is that? Do we have do we have a sense for that? He knows more than I know. Yeah. So I guess closing comments is like, um, luckily, the state of Texas is great. That's why I wanted to make this film. I wanted to make a Texas. We'll have the little logo where it says "I'm 100 Texas" or Texan. We're oh, I like that. Texas. The great thing is like, there's so many different film festivals who are giving us a lot of like opportunity and time. Cause Ooh, good. We, we want to do this. And if you're listening out there and you're a film festival. Is this is a double? This is a double bill, which is you get a film plus you get the soundtrack live. We want to have like showcases. We want to promote the film as he's promoting the music, and vice versa. I mean, I think it's a double whammy, and I, I mean, I love everyone who supported us. I mean, everyone's been along the way. We made a Texas film, man. Like whenever I watch, I said the film was gonna be like this. It's once meets the wrestler meets Tender Mercies meets Urban Cowboy, but the motherfucker was shot in Dallas, Texas. And we did it. And we have original music, and we have original actors, and Tim's a cross-dressing landlord. So, I mean, drop the mic on that, right? <laughs> Ain't that right, Muddy Waters? Come on. Give me a big old kiss. Do you have a sense for when your editing will finish? With the fingers crossed, will this will be premiered at South by Southwest in March. But we're going to do a friends and family 
in-progress screening at the Texas Theater. Got to do it there. So we're going to let everybody come out, like you guys and people listening to this podcast, who want to come out. It won't be advertised because we're not allowed to show it as a full feature yet, but it'll be in progress. But I can plug it on the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. 100%. And people can come out and fill a card. You'll have to sign a uh, a non-disclosure? A non-disclosure. Which basically says, like, you haven't seen it. I want some feedback. I want you guys to let... Tell all books. No tell all books after it's all said. Exactly. So yeah, basically, those non-disclosures are invalid. These will be really valid. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in Dallas, Texas, I want you to come out and like give, give us your feedback. Be real. Let's 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 uh, let's make a Dallas, Texas film that we're all proud of. This has been a real treat. I uh, love the here. El Camino. I love the driving through uh, Swiss Avenue and Gaston. Lightning Hopkins. His quote starts the movie, and then you got a quote from uh, Towns Van Zant. I mean. And again, it's it's real. That's what I loved about uh, they were nice enough to share some of the clips. And this is a real movie. So, Greg, Josh. Thank you. You got it, man. I appreciate it, Muddy Waters. I appreciate you uh, being by my side the whole time. I love Come it. Come on, here's a treat for you. <laughs> Y'all take care, and we'll talk again soon. Bye. Josh and Greg were very nice in pulling my co-host and Chocolate Lab Rescue, Muddy Waters, into the interview. Around the halfway mark, Muddy saw that we were having a good time and insisted on climbing up and getting in the middle of the happening. Muddy loved it. Thanks to Josh and Greg's openness, we did a deep dive into the characters and story of the movie. This was good stuff, a real blast. I can't wait to see the movie. I'll keep you posted on the pre-screening date so you can attend as well. A lot of great musical history was covered in the interview. I want to add a little bit more. Greg said that in his song, This World Won't Break, which is also the name of the movie, the first verse is about Doug Sam, the second about Graham Parsons, and the third about Buck Owens. Let me add a little meat to these artists. Doug Sam played a huge role in the development of the Austin music scene back in the day. The biographer Jan Reed said, Among Texas musicians, only Buddy Holly, Roy Orbison, Janis Joplin, and Stevie Ray Vaughan rivaled Doug's importance in the evolution of rock and roll. He was on the cover and featured in one of the early editions of Rolling Stone magazine. His two key bands were Sir Douglas Quintet and the Texas Tornadoes. In Doug's song At the Crossroads, he sings, You just can't live in Texas if you don't have a lot of soul. That kind of says it all. Now that you have a taste for Doug Sam, please go check him out. Graham Parsons. He was a key figure in the history of the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers. He worked with Roger McGuinn in writing the classic album Sweetheart of the Rodeo. This Birds album kicked off the whole country rock genre of music. This was a predecessor to the Eagles. Graham was highly respected in the industry. He dated Emmylou Harris, was close friends with Keith Richards and Roger McGuinn, and many others. The big bummer part of Graham's story is that he was one of the early fatalities of the hard rock and roll life. Please check his music out. Buck Owens, you should know. He was a great country music artist and became even more important by influencing the Nashville sound as a composer. Greg, thanks again for bringing these artists back to mind. Well, speaking of Greg Schrader, he's playing at the Sons of Herman Hall tonight. So I'm going to wrap up the editing of this show right now so we can go see him. Coincidences are amazing. As you should remember, the movie we discussed opens at the Sons of Herman Hall with Greg packing up after his show. Well, I'm going to go get a Lone Star and catch his whole show tonight. I know you're jealous, 
So be sure to go to his website, www.thegregschrader.com website, so you can make his next gig. Schrader is spelled S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R. Till next time, adios. Dogger and Muddy are heading to a local honky-tonk to check out the music scene. If you do the same, let the artists know you appreciate their music and be sure to tip your servers well. Till next time. Trust is to falter and to take